0: Hey, guys, it's been a while since I've said this, but it's Q&A Tuesday. As I promised you on Watches and Whiskey, I'm going to continue the Q&A format, except this time I'm going to do it via the podcast. Of course, the the guys decided to record some shorts, right? Uh, YouTube has this new thing called the shorts, so you'll be able to see some of these questions on on the YouTube platform via shorts. So let's get right into it. The pre-owned market seems to be insane right now. Exhibit A, $34,000 steel paddock selling for over 400. Will these prices hold? Are oh, we in for a correction? Again, I'm assuming you're referring to the same 5711 paddock that sold in auction. Auction and pre-owned market Uh, two different things. The auction market is a market all of its own, and I'm not going to get into the difference between the two, but certainly the auction market is completely different than that of a pre-owned market or a gray market, which is what we are part of. Uh, Just a quick example, I've told you guys numerous times on previous Q&As that in an auction environment, you also tend to have uh, the concept of what I call two dicks in a room, right? You have two guys that are bidding for the same watch, and one wants to show the other how whose, whose dick is bigger, if you will, right? And what happens in that scenario, watches tend to fetch tremendously high pricing right because both guys have more money that they can uh, more money than you can think of and they don't really care how much they spend they just want to show off to others sometimes it's a case of a multitude of bidders out there right and this is not a male a female thing just a figure of speech so nobody get offended out there with that said um in an auction environment you also have companies selling their own stuff right and i've told you guys this numerous times as i did in the previous question so there's a lot of if there's a lot of ifs that goes into these ma- major auction houses, and even some of the smaller auction houses that you don't really know the truth. On a gray market, it's pretty, f- it's pretty clean and clear. There's a market price on a watch. We buy the watch, we resell the watch at a premium. The market is usually set by some of the first few pieces that get out there. It tends to be a lot higher Then it tends to come down a little bit. What's going to happen in the future? Look, guys, uh, simple economics, right? Uh, we all know economies are cyclical. We all know that, look, we're in a period of uh, the dollar inflating, at least in the United States, right? What happens with every single economy? Every so often you hit inflation. What happens when that – When that? what happens then? The rates go up, right? Once the rates go up, people that are in the stock market or other investment uh, tools, if you will, uh, what are they doing? They're pulling that market out of there. They're pu- putting it into a safe haven, such as government bonds and therefore putting gazillions of dollars out of the market, the stock market goes down, the mood goes down, the economy suffers, which is why inflation is no good. What do you think is gonna happen with luxury goods when that happens? It's gonna take the same exact effect. You're not gonna see a crash like we saw in 08, because there's really nothing crazy or abnormal that's happening to our economy. You know, every so often we get inflation happens, right? We keep printing money, it's it's gonna continue happening, right? But with that said, You're going to see somewhat of a correction, but not across the board, right? You're going to see correction across pieces that were—the biggest hits are going to be those super, super expensive pieces, such as a 5711 for $450,000, such as some of the richer meals out there that's just gotten outrageous, like Baba Watson's trading at over $400,000. Those are the ones that are going to take the bigger hit, right? pieces that were not as overhyped or not as inflated you're going to see them take a smaller hit. I've seen this happen before. They take a hit and they slowly go back up until the next hype and they go over and usually at the next hype they reach a higher price. Good example, 5980 stainless steel prior to the 08 crisis that watched retail around 30 rand and it went up to $65,000 in a high market. And uh, when it crashed it went back down to under 30. Today, that watch is over $100,000 during the next hype. But logically so. It's been 14 years almost since the 08 crisis. So I told you guys numerous times, I don't have a glass ball. Do I foresee certain corrections in the market? Absolutely. It happens every so often, and it's very much dependent on the economies. A lot of people are parking their money in passion assets because they're making a fuck ton of money elsewhere, be it real estate, be it the stock market, be it cryptocurrency, commodities. You name it, if you were in any one of those things, and a slew of other things that I'm not going to bother naming, you will see that everybody was making money hand over foot, as they say. And with that, you have access cash. And when you have access cash, what do you want to do? You want to park it elsewhere. People get nervous when everything is up. People don't get nervous when the stock market is going down because they know eventually it will come back up. But when everything is up and up and everything is at its highs be it real estate, be it crypto, be it, be it stock market people get nervous and they take some of that access cash and they park it what we call a passion asset, right? such as a watch, a luxury piece of art, a luxury car, something that in their mind is just a safe haven for keeping that money. And even if it goes down 10 20% at a later time, they're okay. It's just sort of like uh, going into a casino, you know, hitting the roulette for $10,000, walking into a store and buying yourself a $10,000 watch so that you don't go back to the tables and spend that $10,000, even though you may lose 20% on that Rolex, or maybe Rolex is a bad example. Now, whatever watch you may have bought, but it's still sort of a safe haven, more or less, to... Park your money so that it doesn't go elsewhere. Um, let's see. Next one is going to be from Zahir Miman. And I apologize if I didn't get your name correctly. Hey, what do you think is the future of the Rolex Daytona 116515LN discontinued chocolate alligator belt or strap in terms of its valuations? Would it be a good investment to hold on to? I told you guys numerous times. Watches are not an investment. They're an expensive toy. At the best case scenario, they're a passion asset. Rolex is always a good bet. Look at the brand overall. Over time, pretty much any Rolex tends to hold its value. Some may take longer to realize that value. Some may take a lot shorter to realize that value. Most are a value right out the door if you manage to pick them up at retail. Strap Daytonas have notoriously not done well. In the past, if you look, if you go backwards is the easiest way to see it, right? If you go backwards and find a pre-owned uh, Daytona on a strap, any pre-owned Daytona on a strap, and you look at what values they're fetching today, it will answer your question. Now, it may seem that some of those may be trading over its original MSRP's, but if the MSRP of 30 years ago is not the MSRP today, so all of a sudden you'll say, oh, wait a minute, don't watch retail for 12 grand today. There's on the market pre-owned for 15, 18. Seems like a good investment. It's not because it's been 30 years since somebody bought that watch, right? Take that same $12,000, 30 years, you could put it into Apple stock. You'd have a lot more Rolex Daytonas. Makes sense, right? So I always tell you guys one thing. Buy what you like first and foremost. Don't worry about the investment side of it. These things are not an investment for you. They're an investment for me because I'm in this business uh, if this is a watch that you like, if this is a watch that you enjoy wearing, if this is a watch you can possibly see passing on to your significant others or your children, then by all means, buy it. Overall, you won't lose with Rolex. Rolex tends to be a winner. But at the end of the day, I say, again, buy what you like first and foremost. Uh, next, I got uh, a good one from Dan Sanders. All right. Now, Dan Sanders says, what would, you, what would it take for a company such as JLC or a Longins on it You guys always kill me with that pronunciation, Lungenzone, right? I had a couple of German uh, fans reach out and actually try to teach me how to pronounce it. I just call it Lang. Lang works for me, right? Um, So, what do you think of brands such as JLC and Lang to have watches that appreciate and value as much as a paddock and Rolex? Do you think brand recognition along with scarcity are the main reasons watches appreciate? There's lots of reasons why watches appreciate, right? And, uh... Sorry, guys, I got sidetracked here. Oh, I have a call in five minutes, so I better make this quick. So, um, there's a lot of uh, reasons why watches appreciate, right? And uh, funny you should mention Longo, right? And uh, so the Big Bad Richmond Group, and I think I may have discussed this earlier, right? started looking around and saying, oh, my God, look what AP has done. Oh, my God, look at what Richard Mille has done. I'm not going to mention Rolex because Rolex is just sort of in its own realm, right? Like, they're from a different planet. There's nobody out there that's going to catch up to Rolex ever, in my opinion. So let's just look at Richard Mille and AP for a second. A while back, a genius of a CEO, Francois, said... I am going to start cutting down dealers, cutting down uh, production, cutting down allocations to whatever dealers I decide to keep. I'm going to go to boutique only route, and everybody said, you're crazy. You're going to get killed by the dealers that discount. You're going to get killed by the gray market. And said, no, I won't. And the reason he didn't get killed is because he cut production and cut allocations drastically by doing so, creating a demand. By doing so, creating a, uh, a lack of supply versus the demand, right? Classic. I mean, it's, it's the easiest thing to do in, in any market, especially if you are the guy that runs the company. And uh, Richard Mills same exact thing, right? Rolex, again, more or less the same thing, supply and demand. Even though they make, they make hundreds of thousands of watches, still the demand, is, uh, the demand is so high that they're managed to sell some pieces, at triple list, right? Uh, with that said, the Richmond Group looks at all this and says, well, we're the big badass Richmond Group. Why can't we do this? And what do we do this with? And I mentioned to you guys earlier, Lange, I've been buying up Lange's like crazy. I probably have 40 to 50 Lange's in stock at any given time at this point. Why? Because they just did exactly the same thing. They took a production from 5,000 pieces a year, which is probably more like 5,500 with some special editions, etc. They cut it down to 2,000. They cut dealer discount on certain models, and they made a lot of the models to be application pieces, meaning you have to have history with the brand in order to, buy a particular long game much like paddock does with their grand complication lines right with that said what is that going to do that's going to create uh, a hype around it right because that information gets out people know about it all of a sudden people start talking well i was trying to buy a lang and i can't i walked into a Lange boutique and i tried to get a zeitwork they told me you have to wait six months i try to buy this watch and they told me i have to buy another watch before i get that the odysseus is already trading at double its list value right because it's a stainless steel long game so that buzz gets created and along with that buzz, you cut the supply. The minute you cut, not only do you cut the supply, you also cut the, I guess, uh, how easy it is to get it. Before it used to be, t- five years, you can walk into a longer but you can order any watch. Today you can't, right? And, uh, and that's just the bottom line. That creates that particular buzz. Uh, as far as brand recognition, that's a whole separate thing. This is something that every single brand works with, be it the ambassadors, be it via, uh, you know, s- sporting events, et cetera, whatever it might be, right? They, each brand does their own thing, but it's that old, good old trick of supply, of cutting supply and, uh, you know, below what your current market demand is, should you be able to calculate that in companies like this can. I mean, if you're producing 2,000 watches a year, it's not that hard to figure out what your demand is out there on a the primary market and even on a secondary market for a guy like me. And then you get guys like me, you get guys like Watchbox that will get out there and do the same thing to this brand that was done to F.P. Journe, right? And pretty soon, you're going to see Lange or zona. Uh, you're going to see them going through the roof. The prices have already went up probably by 20 to 30% on certain models. I myself have been a culprit of that because I've been buying them up and I've been paying top dollar. What I pre- pay for an average pre-owned Lange today is not something that I paid a year, two years, or even five years ago, right? Uh, if you guys want to know what the favorite Lange is to, uh, or a Lange to go for today to buy as a good quote-unquote investment or to put some money into, uh, buy any work you can, buy any time zone that you can, and also buy any of the older models uh, that are out there uh, that have been discontinued and haven't been produced for a long time. Basically, the dogs of the brand, like some of the older Cabarets, right? Nobody liked those watches when they first came out. They used to trade on the 10 grand. Now they're in the mid to high teens already because there's just not a lot of them out there. And last but not least, any longer bracelet models. They didn't make those for many years. They discontinued fairly quickly because they weren't popular, right? So the old dogs become the new collectibles usually. Uh, as far as Jaeger or any other brand out there, look, the tables have been set, right? The, the, the status, uh, not the status, I should say, but uh, uh, an example, a good example has been set, again, by a genius or a CEO, Francois from AP, right? I was always been, I've always been a fan of his. What he's done for the brand when he was with uh, when he was running AP Americas, and now that he's the global CEO, he's done wonders for the brand. As far as I'm concerned, and the watch industry is not super creative or somebody that just kind of jumps out there and says, "Oh, I'm going to do something completely avant garde, is completely different." Unless you're talking about independence, right? Max Buser being in the lead there, if you ask me. Uh, with that said, uh, they're just all going to follow suit. How many times have we said, oh, my God, that watch looks exactly like the Nautilus, or this Nautilus looks exactly like the GP, or this uh, you know, other watch looks exactly like the other watch? Again, not a whole lot of stepping outside the box. If it ain't broke, don't fix this industry. It's hundreds of years old. So I can see other brands following suit and creating that same exact thing. But at the end of the day, the numbers have to make sense. They spend so much money on marketing, advertising, boutiques, staff, this, that, and the other that – not everybody can simply cut production down so drastically they may be in the red if they do that so it's sort of managing that that will sort of that will make that happen if you will and last but not least, I'm going to take one from Hiwata Miri, and this one is, what is your take on an old 36mm Royal Oaks in full gold? 4,100 Ba's, 1,4790 Ba's, as they're still relatively cheap. My take is to buy them. And the reason I say to buy them is because, remember, whatever happens in the modern market directly reflects to the vintage market. Whatever happens in the, with the hottest pieces out in the vintage market, let's like say a 5,402 Ba, which is over 125000 right now, versus, I don't know, five years being a $40,000 watch, guess what? It brings up the price of all the other ones. And you're not the only one that's saying, oh, they're still relatively cheaper. There's a lot of other people out there that's saying, oh, wait, I want to get a a gold Royal Oak. Where do, I, where do I go to? I can't really afford to go to modern. It's too expensive. I can't go for the golden you know, for the you know the golden goose, which would be the fifty four oh two. So they tend to reach for older models. I mentioned this in my one of my Q and A's, where I talked about sleepers. I talked to you guys about the two ton versions of the thirty six millimeter oil looks. Well, since I've talked to them, they've doubled in price. I told you there were sleepers when they were around ten thousand. Now they're trading in the mid twenties. Same fate is going to hold for the 36-millimeter Royal Oaks in full gold. So if you're out there looking for one bite now, it will continue rising in prices. Guys, I want to thank you for tuning in. This was my first shot at uh, you know a podcast Q&A format. Uh, so I appreciate it for all you guys that are listening. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Roman Sharp, if you want to look at some of the older Q&As and see my face on camera. Other than that, guys, I'll talk to you next Tuesday.